There are over 75 million monthly Tubi viewers. That's more people than there are influencers on the internet. Which means Tubi is more popular than sponsored posts for digestive enzymes and high coverage foundation. More popular than soft launching your boyfriend. More popular than making boomers explode with rage when you tell them how much you make on a single post. Tubi, it's more popular than influencers. See you in there. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. Before she took the name Whoopi Goldberg, she was Karen Johnson, raised by a single mom in New York City. She struggled in school due to a learning disability, and she dropped out of high school. Whoopi was a free spirit, and still is. Drawn to experimental theater in the late 1960s, it would be a long time before she could say she was a working actress. That all changed after she wrote and performed in her own one-woman show. That show caught the attention of Steven Spielberg, who cast her in The Color Purple. It was her first film, and mine too. She's performed in dozens of movies, is a bona fide comedy legend, and one of only 12 people who have won an Emmy, a Grammy, an Oscar, and a Tony. Whoopi credits her mother with giving her the freedom to fully become who she is. And it all started back in the projects of New York City. Everybody has a story, and there is something to be learned from every experience. Use your life as a class. This is Masterclass with Whoopi Goldberg. I grew up in the projects, very nice projects, and, you know, had a great time kind of as a kid. There was a, there's a great place called the Hudson Guild around here, and it's a settlement house. And they had all kinds of stuff, you know, the theater for kids and ceramics and all kinds of stuff. And then I went to a school here called St. Columba, and they'd have theatricals there, and I just knew it was me. I love movies, and I love the idea that I could pretend to be anything I wanted to be, and that it didn't require explanation. You could be a performer and say, yes, to, today I'm going to be the oasis of Mulan. And you could be the oasis of Mulan and people would have to prove that you weren't, you know? And I like that. And I love stories because that's the way I've connected to everything is hearing stories, watching stories. It's all visual for me, visual and audible. I knew that I could do things that other people couldn't do in ways that they couldn't do them. Like, I understood what it meant when you said, I'm a little teapot, because I get in my teapot head, you know? Not, like, pothead, but that, like, you know, I'm a little teapot, so I don't stop, that kind of thing. And uh, I always could be anything they threw at me, convincingly. So I was always confident. That was never in question, ever. The person who taught me, I think, the best parts of me is my mom. I wasn't a, a particularly popular kid. 
but I was with the group that wasn't particularly popular. And we went on a class trip, and I had a great friend called Robert, really good guy, and he, he wasn't popular either. But for some reason, this trip that we went on, I was with them, I was popular for that day. So I treated my friends quite poorly, because I was one of the popular kids, say. So at the end of the day, when my mom and I are, are home, she said, did you have a good day? Did you have a good time at this thing? I said, yeah, I was really, I had a really good time. It's really great, and so-and-so was really cool to me, and blah, blah, blah. And my mom said, how do you think Robert's day was? And I said, well, that, it was probably okay. She said, oh, okay, if you think so. And I knew what she was talking about. I hadn't treated my friend well, and I did what the popular kids did to me and just high-handed him, you know, and high-handed all of the unpopular kids in whose company I spent most of my youth. And I, I said I, was, I wasn't very nice to Robert. And she said, no, you weren't. She said, maybe he'll be your friend tomorrow. She talked to him. And when I tell you that that, that was one of the, for me, one of the most powerful lessons, because it's still hard to talk about, you know, because I, I hurt my friend and made him feel the way other people had made me feel. My mom was an extraordinary woman because she was a listener. She listened and she was a watcher. And I can't imagine where I got it from. I remember I told my mom I was going to go see the Nutcracker with some friends. And she said, OK, just make sure you clean your room. And I said, okay. And then she went to do what she was going to do. And I was sort of, you know, moving things. And then there's like a, a bad whoopee popped up. And the bad whoopee was like, why are we spending all this time cleaning up? She, we'll be home before she is. Or, pff, leave it. She'll never, we'll have it clean before she gets there. And then the good whoopee was like, I wouldn't do that. I, I would clean up if I were you. And so me and the, the bad whoopee, you know, flicked the good whoopee away. And I went to see the Nutcracker. Sat through it, I loved it, I, I just love it. You know, the tree grew, the mouse grew, the whole thing happened, and the nut sugar plum bath. It was, and it was great. And then I got back on the bus and to come home, and I'm sort of walking home, and I'm thinking about that, 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 that. And I get in the elevator to go upstairs, and I go upstairs, and I'm still in my ballet mood, and I go to my door, and I go in my pocket to get the key. And it's not in my pocket. I can't get in, and my mom's going to be home any minute, and the room is not cleaned. And then I see the elevator, and there she is. And she gets off, and she looks, and she smiles, and I smile, you know, because now I'm sweating. And she says, hi. And I go, hi. And she says, what are you doing out here? I said, I forgot my cape. I don't know where it is. She said, well, did you have a good time at the Nutcracker? I was like, oh, I had a great time. The entire time now, I'm trying to get around her. I was trying to beat my mother into the house, run to the back room, clean up my room really fast before she got in, you know. So I'm, I'm trying to get around her, and I'm sweating, and she, I... I realize now that she knew. Of course she knew. And so she takes off her coat and she says, 
how you doing? I said, I'm great, I'm just great, 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 great. She said, everything okay? I said, yeah, yeah, everything is great. She said, you clean your room? And I meant to say, no, ma'am, I didn't. I didn't do it, but instead, my head goes, yes, yes, I cleaned the room. <laughs> I'm thinking, idiot, idiot, oh my God. And she says, well, I'm so glad to hear it. And she said, do you want something to drink? And I said, no, no, I just, I just want to go to my room. And she said, well, just sit down and talk to me for a minute. Now, it's like horrifying. And then she says to me again, oh, did I ask you, Karen, did, did you clean your room? And I, I mean again to say, no, I did not. And I realized that what's happening is my head is going up and down and it's too down. <laughs> And she's saying, well, you know, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna go to your room. Now, you, you did clean it, right? And I was like, yes, yes, I did. And I know what's coming. I know what's coming. And she says, good. And she walks to the back. And then she walks back up. And she looks at me and she said, I didn't see where you cleaned your room. And I was like, what happened was I was, and then I was gonna go and then I just, and, then, and when I tell you, she was really mad at me. She wasn't mad at me because I didn't clean my room. She wasn't mad at me because I had BS'd her. She was mad at me because my story was bad and it was too easy to prove. And her feeling was, if you're going to lie, make an effort. She, you know, she was she was pretty pissed, and so she like, beat my behind. And I understood that, you know, if you're gonna do it, you better make it interesting. You better make it so interesting people don't want to hit you afterwards. <laughs> when I was growing up, there was no word for dyslexia. They would just put you uh, in the slow class and call you retarded. Well, it was an issue from the time I was a little kid because letters don't look like they're supposed to. And for me, also, sequencing of numbers was difficult because I'm not good with numbers and they move around and I can't, you know, I find it really hard to add and subtract. I just remember somebody said at one point in my life, oh, this, that's called dyslexia. I was like, what do you mean it's called dyslexia? Oh, there's a lot of people like you who see things the way that you do. And so it was great to find out that I wasn't the only one, because you kind of think you're the only one, because a kid is very egotistical anyway. But, you, you know, you don't meet a lot of people saying, well, I don't really understand what I'm seeing, or numbers are moving and not sound crazy. So, you know, it was nice to find out that there was a reason and that many people share it, and now they make all kinds of efforts to help a kid who sees and deals with things differently. Structurally, school wasn't for me. And I realized that it's not for everybody. Everybody learns differently. Now we know this, but we did not know that then. I didn't like it. I wasn't good at it. I didn't like the structure and I, it was just hard. It was just hard. And I've, I talked to my mom about it. And she said, well, you, you know, you have to find some other things and you have to let me know what else you're gonna do. Cause I don't want you just sitting around. I think she liked it that I talked to her. I didn't just disappear and lie and say I was going to school. 
I told her I, I wasn't good at it. And she understood that. And so she said, well, we'll, we'll figure it out. And I'm most grateful to her for that because I think if I had been forced to try to do it like other people, it might not have worked out as well. I live by routines, but I especially love my same-day delivery routine with Shipped. And my shopper knows this about me. When Sunday rolls around and I place my weekly stock-up order, Joe sends texts from the aisles. Wilted lettuce? Nah, uh Hard pass. Deal on my favorite sparkling water? Whew. Grab two. Fresh flowers just because? Hmm, sounds like a delightful idea. If you love routines that work for you, get Shipped same-day delivery. Shipped. Delight in every delivery. Learn more at ship.com slash high. Well, I did drugs if that's what you mean. Yeah, I mean, yeah. But, you know, it's at a time when everybody was trying stuff. You know, you got all kinds of things. You got, you know, acid here, some heroin, some weed, just, you know, a lot of different stuff. And, you know, it was that also was the best thing that could have happened to me, too, because I got it out of my system-ish, you know. It wasn't so much that I decided that I wanted to stop. It just wasn't. It wasn't for me, and I was with folks who weren't doing it. And so they kind of said, you know, we don't want to hang out if this is what you're doing. So okay, and some folks helped me clean up, and, and so I didn't do that anymore. But the experiences were amazing. I don't recommend it because it's a hard life, but I could only say that because I've been there, you know? I'm not a good marrying person. I always think if I, I always thought if I was married, I'd be closer to normal. But as it turns out, I'm just not normal, and it's something I've come to accept. I went to live with a very nice uh, guy. I liked him, and, and he liked me, and he said, let's get married. And I thought, well, yeah, that's probably a good idea. I thought that if I, if I made, if I structured a life that way, I would feel more like everyone else. And it was good, but it wasn't for me. But I got this very strange and wonderful child out of it. I don't mind being on my own. If I want company, I can find company. If I, whatever else I need, I'm, it's there. But um, I'm okay on my path. I like my path. I like not having to explain myself constantly. And you have to give and take in a relationship. and. I don't really got much to give these days. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> the best thing I could say to anybody is, you know, keep on plugging. Keep on plugging. Don't stop. It's hard to find the gig that you want. So get the gig you can get until you can work to the gig that you want. I moved from uh, New York to San Diego. I took the jobs that I could learn, and fortunately, I have many things to fall back on if I need them. I was a bricklayer. I did hair and makeup on dead people. The hours were great. I could be with my kid, put my kid in school, go to work, do what I had to do, come back to a show that evening, and it was great hours. And then I met some folks from Berkeley, California. They said, well, what do you do? I said, well, I'm an actor. I do this. And so you ought to come up with us and do some improv work. And I was like, really? He's like, oh, okay. And so I went up for, you know, a weekend, and it was nice. And then I came back, and I said to the kid, what, you, let's try this place, Berkeley, California. She's like, okay. So we moved. 
I just wanted to work as an actor. I wasn't able to get a lot of jobs outside of the, the group I was in. And at the time, people didn't really think uh, young women of color could do a lot. I don't, I don't know what that means, but I know that I had to write a show so they could see what I was capable of doing. And in there was the valley girl and the little old lady and the lady with the disability and all of the characters I created. So I came to New York, and uh, for the first two days, nobody came. And then an amazing review got written. And the next thing I knew, Bette Midler was in the audience. And then there was 15 people in the audience, and then 30, and then, you know, full capacity. And then we were able to extend, and then Mike Nichols came. And he said, I, I love the show. I'd love to produce it for you. I was like, oh, okay. And I thought he was kidding. And my phone rang you know, about a month and a half later, and said, this is Mr. Nichols. I was like, hi, uh, how you doing? He was like, I'm very well, how are you? I was like, oh, I'm good. And he said, would you like to talk about places we might do your show? And I said, you were serious. I thought you were kidding. He said, no, no, I was serious. And I said, well, I don't know if you want to really take me because I'm sort of hit and miss sometimes. Sometimes I really suck. And, he said, when was the last time you really sucked? I said, well, I think a couple of weeks ago I did a show and I thought it really sucked. He said, well, do you think you suck more often or less often? And I said, I, I think I suck less often. He said, well, I'm willing to gamble on that. <laughs> it's okay. And then six months later, we were at the Lyceum. This is a great lesson in how the universe works. In 1985, before I'd ever met her, Whoopi and I were cast in The Color Purple. Neither of us had ever been in a movie before. Being in that film was a lifetime dream come true for me, ever since I'd read Alice Walker's book. Now, Quincy Jones saw me on The Oprah Show while he was in Chicago and thought, hmm, that'll make a good Sophia. Whoopi was also a huge fan of Alice Walker's book, and she too dreamed of being in the movie. And one day, she got an unexpected call. So the story is, got an invitation to perform my show for Steven Spielberg, who wasn't able to get to New York to see it. And I was like, okay, uh, yeah. Because, you know, I want to be in Raiders of the Lost Ark. I want to be in Jaws 5, you know, where the black people are at the beach. I want to be in that one. And so I went and did my show, and... And I met him, and I was just talking to him. We were talking about movies and stuff. And he said, well, I just have this little theater here, and it's just going to be me and a couple of, you know, folks to, to see the show who, who I think should see it. And I was like, oh, okay, whatever. You know, I'm cool. Now, by this time, I have a manager who says, now, listen, just do the show, because I, you know, I've written a lot of material, and some of it is a little out there, one piece being Blee, B-L-E-E-T, for the black E.T., he lands in Oakland and a whole bunch of stuff happens. They said, do not do that one. Do everything else. Do not do bleed tea. And I was like, oh, okay, I, I won't. And so I, I come out on the Amblin stage that night, and I'm in a panic because to my left is Quincy Jones, and to his right is Michael Jackson and Ashford and Simpson are here. I mean, my head is exploding because I'm thinking, 
oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. And there's Steven and I'm thinking, oh, this is not good. And it's just okay. So I do the show and they're laughing. They're having a great time. And I finish it and they're standing up and they're going, you know, more. I think, oh, no, man. I, I said, I don't really have any. I have one more, but I was told not to do it for you. And so he said, well, what is it? I said, well, it's kind of my take on E.T. And he said, oh, I want to see this. <laughs> so I do this thing where E.T. lands in Oakland, and he's found by these two little kids who take him to the projects. Then he gets a jerry curl because jerry curls were in, and he can't really phone home because none of the phones are working. Steven thinks it's the greatest thing he's ever, funniest thing he's ever heard. And so he says, that was great. And then he says, well, Quincy and I are, uh, are going to make color purple. And it was kind of great because I had written to Alice Walker because we heard her reading color purple on the radio. And so I wrote her a letter said, if they ever make a movie of this, very bold, ever make a movie, I'll play dirt on the floor. And went on my way. And when I came here the first time, there was a letter waiting for me at my mother's house, a purple envelope. And when I looked at it, it said it was from Alice Walker. And what she wrote was, I already know you. I've seen all of your shows. I know your work. And I've already sent your stuff to them. So Stephen said, we want to offer you the part of Seely. And I said, really? Why? I was a theater actor. That's what I always thought I was going to be. I always knew I could act. I just never thought I, I would be doing movies. You know, I thought I'd always be on Broadway. I said, well, I've never made a movie before. I don't know if I can do that. And he said, what is it that you're most concerned about? I said, well... I'm kind of used to audiences. He said, oh, there'll be an audience there. I said, really? He said, yeah. He said, the entire crew is your audience. And that lens, there are hundreds of thousands of people in there. And so you're acting to them. But they are sort of mute. So you'll just have to feel them. And I said, but what if I'm not good at this? He said, well... I think I'll know if you suck. I'll know early on if you suck. And if you suck, then we'll make other arrangements. But I think you'll be all right. I was like, okay. And they said, oh, you can't tell anybody. I said, what? They said, we're still doing a lot of stuff, but we want you to take this part. If you say yes, it's yours. But you can't say anything for a little while. And so I would see things in, like, variety, you know, like, Diana Ross up for part of Celia. And, like, I'd be like, hello? If you changed your mind, I understand. No, we haven't changed our mind. Oh, okay. So, you know, so it went on like that for about two, three months. And then got the call. All right, we're, we're assembling the cast. And I remember walking into that room, and there was Danny Glover. And there was Adolph Caesar. And there was this girl I didn't know, but I'd heard she had this amazing talk show in Chicago. I mean, it was an amazing array of people. There was something really amazing about to happen, and you knew it. You could feel it. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. 
anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. A friend of mine came over for lunch to my house and she looked exhausted. And I said, what is the matter? She said, girl, I just came from this audition. Everybody and their mother was there. Black women got up out the grave to audition for this part. And I'm listening and I'm thinking, I don't know anything about this. So she tells me, that, yeah, yeah, so, you know, it's just big and everybody's... And so we have lunch and I don't think about it anymore. And then about three, four hours later, I think, maybe I should call my agent and see what this is about. So I call them and I said, do you know anything about this audition that's going on for this black woman? And he said, oh, yeah, somebody told you, huh? And I was like, yeah, can I audition? And he went, oh, no. I was like, no? Why, Why not? And he said, well, they kind of think you would pull people out of the movie. I said, I don't know what that means. He said, well, you know, you looking, they, they would know it was you. And I was like, but, I, huh? <laughs> I don't understand. And I said, well, I, I, I'd like to audition for it. And, and they said, no, no, this, they're not going to give you an audition. I was like, oh, okay. And I said, are you packed? And I said, yeah, because I was going down to Montgomery, Alabama to make a movie called The Long Walk Home with Sissy Spacek. And I said, yeah, I'm, I'm leaving tomorrow. And it's like, have a great trip and blah, blah, blah. So I'm about three weeks in and I get a phone call that says, hey, you remember that part you were interested in? I said, what part? I said, remember they didn't want you because they thought they'd pull you out? I said, yeah, what happened? I said, well, they want to come down with the guy who's going to be in the movie because he wants to see how you guys work together. And I said, okay, who is it? I said, what is Patrick Swayze? And I said, oh, they're putting Patrick in the part, in the dead guy part. I said, yeah. And he wanted to know why you turned it down. I said, what do you mean? I didn't turn it. He said, well, yeah, they had to tell him you didn't turn it down, that they hadn't gone to you because they thought you were, you would take people out of the movie. And his response was, then I'm not sure I want to be in this movie. If, can we at least see if we work well together? Because if you haven't auditioned her, it seems to me you might want to check. And so he flew down to Montgomery, Alabama with Jerry Zucker, and Patrick and I looked at each other, just started laughing. I hadn't met him before, but we were just, we were somehow connected. And so we just improved a bit. And then they, they went back to California, and I went back to Long Walk Home. And about two, three weeks after that, I got a call saying, hey, they'd like to offer you that part. It was great fun, and, you know, Patrick was always wanted to be funny, and he was funny and silly, and we, we got along, and it went really well. And then I got nominated again. I was like, really? Okay. Because, you know, you, you don't think of... <laughs> when you're doing it, you don't think this is, you know, this is Academy material. You just think, well, this is really fun. So we're, we're all there, and... You know, I'm there in my little my dress, and, you know, I'm looking pretty good. And, you know, Denzel gets up, and I'm looking around, looking around, smiling, and I feel this next to me. <laughs> it's my daughter going, 
he just said your name, go get the Oscar, get up. And I was like, huh? She says, he just said you. And I'm oh my God. And right there. And I was like, oh, this is really cool. And then I thanked Patrick because without Patrick Swayze, I would not have gotten a job. And the casting lady who cast Ghost, without the two of them, it never would have happened. Getting famous really fast was great. I was surrounded by really smart, great people who gave me great advice. Paul Simon said to me, enjoy this because this is a good time you're going to have a good time. And sometimes people get in it and they don't enjoy it because they're working so hard. He said, enjoy this. Warren Beatty said, they're gonna say things about you. They're gonna say, oh, you go to the opening of everything. If you wanna go to the opening of something, go. He said, it's great fun. Everybody said, this doesn't happen to everybody. Go explore. When you're in the business, you forget how exciting it is when it first happens. You know, you forget that it's exciting to meet your idols. It's exciting to meet people who say they like your work. So I learned early on how to treat fans. And one of the people I learned from watching was Dolly Parton. I saw what Dolly did and how well, even on days when she didn't want to be bothered, how she was. And you have to never forget that without the people who are coming up, and asking for autographs and pictures, you don't have a career. They make it possible for you to have the life you have. I'm eternally grateful because I think had I not had such a good fan base, I don't know if I would have had the, the amount of deaths in life I, I keep getting in my career. I said to my mother about two and a half years, three years before she passed, I said, you have to get this thing called Skype. You have to get it. And my brother said, Ma, you got to do this. And she was like, no, I am not getting it. I don't like what these things are able to do. I'm not doing it. He said, no, you got to do it. So we set it up and we did it. And she was like, oh, I like this. This is all right. Yes, I, I can do this. So we would Skype. And my brother and my mother and I would get on the Skype and talk about different stuff, you know, and I really sort of told her how glad I was that she was my mom and that God only knows what would have happened if someone else had tried to raise me. And she talked about how proud she was of, of me and of my brother, that we were ourselves strong in ourselves and that we were good people and, and we laughed a lot. And, and so there was nothing left unsaid. You know, there was no, oh, I should have told her or I should have done this. So one day my brother and I are Skyping with her and she says, now, I have two things to tell you. If I get older, I do not want to be put in a home. I don't like what I see on television. I don't like how they look. So you're gonna have to keep me at home. And when I go, I just want you to put me in the microwave, make some, make some ashes and just scatter me. Here's where I wanna be scattered. And we said, well, don't you want a headstone or a night? She said, who's gonna, who's gonna, are you gonna come all the time? Why would you come all the time to a, a place where dead people are? You can't see me, I'm underground. Scatter me. <laughs> okay. And she always said, don't resuscitate me, just let it happen. And so when she, when she had this joke, I was in England and so I flew home and she was pretty much not in there 
But I did say, listen, if you're holding on, I'm here. But go, go. You don't want to hang out. And a couple hours later, she left. And my brother and I were like this. And people were kind of looking at us, you know, and trying to, because they saw that it was Whoopi Goldberg. So they kept waiting, and they would come by to oh, I'm so sorry. I'd say, yeah, no, no, no. It's okay. And so the conversation must have sounded very callous between my brother and I. So we got to find a place to, to make her some ashes or something. I said, you have the list where she wants to go? And people would be like looking at us. So we found, we found a guy that we cremated. I said, oh, she, this is what she wanted. And we had to pick some urns. I said, well, which one should she? Well, she like a little, she wants a plastic box. Most of her's going other places. So we scattered her in her favorite places, you know, Disneyland and Paris and God, where else did I put her? Oh, in Vermont and she's scattered upstate New York. We put her all over the place, but she's all over the world. It's kind of great, you know, but that's how I get through. She's a great mom, and she knew that I loved her, and she knew that I thought she was one of the greatest people I'd ever known. And so she dug me, too, and she dug my brother a lot. And so there was no sad goodbyes. But for one thing, I realized a couple of days after she passed that no one would ever love me like that again. No one would ever. I wouldn't put that kind of sparkle in anybody's eye, you know? And you kind of know that that person, those are your first loves. Those are the first people you tell your secrets to. Those are the people who hold you when it's scary. That's a big deal. So that, that I felt. But then I thought, this would really piss her off if she heard. <laughs> I said that. She'd be like, really? Really? How many times have you been married? You don't think you put a sparkle in people's eye? Get out of here. So I got over myself. Some things are burned into your memory. Yeah, my daughter said to me, I, I have to talk to you. She's about 14. So I have to talk to you. And I said, okay. And I was in Los Angeles and she was in Berkeley. And she said, I think I'm pregnant. And I said, okay, what do you want to do? And she said, I think I want to have it. In my mind, I thought, what the hell? <laughs> Come on, really? You know, you know about this, you know about that. But, you know, sometimes kids don't always put it all together. Sometimes they want to have children because they feel like they're ready and that's the thing they want to do. We were lucky we could afford it. We could afford to do it. And you can't ever, you can't really be angry when all along you've said it's a choice. And my daughter is a really good parent, much better parent than I was. She is the free-thinking, independent spirit her mother encouraged her to be. And she's raised her daughter the same way. Whoopi Goldberg looks at the world differently, and she has brought that uniqueness to her films, to her books, comedy, and her daily job at The View. I love that she left nothing unsaid and was able to let her mother go that's a lesson for all of us. And disagreement does not mean disapproval. Still marching to the beat of her own drum, Whoopi has never been afraid to be herself. And that is why she is a master. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. 
Get 15% cash back at hundreds of stores, including headliners, Adidas, Elf Cosmetics, and Lego. Rakuten is how in-the-know shoppers get the best savings. They shop the brands they love and earn cash back on top of deals. During Big Give Week, May 6th to May 13th, the cash back rates are even bigger. You can save on everything you need for summer like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. Join today for free and get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of Big Give Week's 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free confidential support anytime you don't have to hide how you feel 